So, you know, we've been going through this series called DTR. It's uh, defining the relationships the way God defines our relationships. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about how God defines our relationship. We're asking the question, what should our relationships look like? And I thought, since we are coming up on the holidays, this would be a perfect Sunday to talk about conflict. You know, you're going to have you're going to have extended family over, you're going to talk about politics, you're going to talk about religion. There's going to be some things that you deal with uh, and I want to coach you on how to deal with conflict. So, today's message is called reconcilable differences. And here's the thing about conflict. If you have relationships, you're going to have conflict. Just period. All relationships will have conflict. People who and we have a bunch of people who are conflict avoiders. They're scared of conflict. There's all kinds of issues in their own heart or maybe their history or their past. There are reasons for it. But, but all relationships are going to have conflict at one time or another. The only question is, will we fight fair? Will we fight well? Will we wrestle through the conflict in a way that actually uh, encourages the relationship to grow stronger? Or will conflict ruin us? And so I want to talk about what the Bible says, what God says about conflict, because conflict happens between um, husbands and wives, it happens between parents and kids, right? It happens between grandparents and parents and grandparents and kids and co-workers and all all these people. Everybody has conflict. I was looking at this um, video I want to show you with a mom and his son having a conflict over a cup that he had stolen, so I want you to watch this. Check this out. This This is funny. This next video stars a kid who accidentally walked out of a restaurant. He took his cup with him. Not only did he think he was going to get in trouble with the restaurant, he thought he was going to get in trouble with the cops. No! Sakari, but you stole it. I want to take it back. Please! Sakari, you already left. Mom, please don't call the cops. Please! Sakari, I don't know what you want me to do. You stole the cup. <laughs> I, I just love that. <laughs> Don't call the cops. I'm your son. <laughs> I think in this particular case, the mom is creating the conflict. Uh, but, but, but as we look at what the scriptures has to say, I think here's what I want to coach you on. That good relationships are no accident. Good relationships are no accident. You, you must be intentional in the way you deal with conflict. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Do you know, that I think it is our calling as God's people to calm quarrels, not, not to stir up dissension. Proverbs 21.9 says, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Going to move right along before any more of you get in trouble. Proverbs 17.14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Starting a conflict is like breaching a dam. And I I find that in our lives, what happens is, if we don't deal with small conflicts, 
they begin to um, weaken the dam, or if we, we might say it, they weaken the banks of the river of our lives. And, and it only takes, it's amazing, it only takes a tiny little uh, incision in a dam. It only takes a tiny little hole for it to begin to open up. Before you know it, you have a torrent of water rushing through. You know, we just had the, this flood over here on the east side of our city a few weeks ago, and it only takes a, a, just one little area where the, where the banks are overflowing, and then the water just goes everywhere. You can't control it. It starts off, and, and it's just uncontrollable as it goes wherever it wants to go, and that's kind of what happens with conflict in our lives, is it begins, and if we're not careful, it begins to bleed into other areas, and suddenly your whole life is sort of filled with angst and conflict. And I think we have to be coached, we have to be intentional about how to deal with conflict. And so the root causes of conflict is something I want to talk about here. The root causes of conflict. And if you know the reason that conflict begins, you have a better chance at dealing with it in a healthy way. And nip it in the bud before it gets out of control. So, so I want to coach you, and I want you to get a little piece of paper and a pen. Maybe you take notes on your smartphone. Take some notes so you can think about these ideas as you sit down over dinner with grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. Here it is. The first idea, first root cause of conflict is poor communication skills. Poor Communication skills, conflicts come because we use the wrong words at the wrong time. We say the wrong things. We, we use verbal missiles. Have you ever done this before? Verbal missiles can undo 20 acts of kindness like that. Bam. Things are going great. Suddenly, you as the husband say something really stupid and man, everything you've done just wiped out. Because it does something, it creates a conflict. I, I was I was thinking about the husband that said to his wife one day, I can't believe that somebody so beautiful can be so stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She, She looked at him and she said, well, let me tell you why God made me like that. She said, he made me beautiful so that you would love me, but he made me stupid so that I would love you. Here's we got we got to nip conflict in the bud before it overflows the banks of our lives, and that begins with the way we communicate, the way we speak. I know there are people who say, "Look, I just say it like it is. I just tell it like it is." No, what they mean is they don't. They're rude. They don't have manners. We need to have the kind of manners that help people just respond to us well. Proverbs also says a harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer, what happens? A gentle answer turns away wrath. And so I think, I think this is a really important idea that we, we, our, our, our language begins to be sanctified as the people of God. That we are willing to be silent even when we want to make our case. That we're willing not to express our opinion every time we have a thought. I mean, I hate to tell you this, but we don't need to know your opinion all the time. 
You don't have a right. You're thinking to yourself, Pastor Ross, this is America. Don't you know I have a right to my opinion? I have a right to say my opinion. Yes, but you shouldn't say it sometimes. Sometimes you should just be quiet and keep your opinion to yourself. People don't need to always know your opinion. You don't need every thought expressed. And so conflict can be avoided by holding our tongue. Conflict can be avoided by asking the Lord to guard our words. This is what David did in Psalm 141, verse 3. I'll put it up here on the screen. Psalm 141, verse 3, he he said, he was praying, he said, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a profound idea that God would keep a watch. He would watch everything that comes out of our mouths. That he would guide everything that comes out of our mouths. That he would guard things that should stay in You know, it's really true that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's very hard to take words back. Because when you say them, people real people think, oh, he really thinks that. Oh, I didn't mean that, sweetheart. Yeah, you 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 did. And then and then the conflict begins to ensue. So so getting better and better at communicating with the right words at the right time. And then number two, unexpected differences. The root causes of conflict is unexpected. Differences. Sometimes they say, you know, people get married or couples get together and they say opposites attract. But then they stay married for a while and it's opposites attack. And 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 so there's a there's a problem sometimes with opposites. I don't know if you've noticed, but men and women are different. Men and women are different. And God is in the differences. God actually puts us together for these differences. There's a power in these differences. And so if you look at Genesis 20 or 2.23, um, Genesis 2.23, you don't have to turn there. I'll just put it up on the screen. Here's, here's what Adam said about Eve. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, oh man, for she was taken out of man. Adam's like, yes, God, good job. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become, what does it say? One flesh. The journey of marriage is becoming one flesh, and it is the working out of the differences and the oneness that God wants to accomplish that is where marriage has its purpose and its spiritual implications that when God is working in us and putting together us together with another person and making us one that this is a miracle and it isn't if you deny the difference you deny the work of God in your character are you tracking with me on that if you deny the differences you kind of keep trying to make them like you right you keep trying to well like for instance I have a problem with punctuality. I'm on time to the things that I really think are important, you know, but, but in general, there's, some, uh, there's many times where I just, I'm, here's how I like to say it. I like to say I'm too optimistic about the things I can get done in the time that I have. Doesn't that sound a lot better? Yeah, not to my wife, who is mispunctual. In fact, she thinks we should be everywhere five minutes early. 
And if, <laughs> yeah. Whoa, people, people. <laughs> she thinks if you're on time, you're late. If I, if I, I think if you're on time, you did the maximum amount with your time. Perfect. Good stewardship. Terrible. My point is that this is a source of conflict with my wife and I. But the what well, the wonderful thing about what God has done is He's put me in her life and put her in my life so that I will become a better person, but she still has to love me the way I am. There's a thing there that she has to that God's going to work in her life if I never become more punctual and I have worked on it haven't I babe yes but this difference between men and women is a big deal I I I was I was thinking about this uh I saw this this thing about how men and women go to the mall and uh get a pair of pants you ever seen this look check it out check it out the mission go to gap buy a pair of pants the male goes straight into the mall, turns left, and goes to the gap. But the woman goes and wanders around each store, Macy's, JCPenney, Sears, different things that take her attention. The male, it takes six minutes. The cost is 33 bucks. Bam. Thank you. The woman, three hours and 26 minutes. The cost is $876. I love this, I, but my favorite all-time difference between men and women thing is the next one. It's, uh, it's about uh, kind of how we're wired. <laughs> one switch for the man, lots of dials for the women. <laughs> there, there is a process here that God is teaching us and one of the deals with differences, when you have unexpected differences, right? Unexpected differences. When, you, when it comes to conflict, what God wants to do is he wants to teach you how to not make a big deal out of them, but to value the differences. Just pause with me here for a second. When you value the differences in your marriage, I think you get strength, not weakness. When you value the strengths of your wife or your husband that are different than yours, you value the oneness, the miracle, the profoundness of marriage. When you value the differences, guess what happens in the body of Christ? When you value the differences, it means the body is stronger and more substantial because there's, there's people in this room who have strengths that you don't have. Your weaknesses get to be covered over by their strengths and they can have an impact on you because you need their strength to work with your weakness. That's the power of the body of Christ. That's the wonder of differences. And so don't get surprised by differences. Expect them. Expect them and embrace them and love the diversity of the body of Christ. Love the diversity of the people at work. L embrace the diversity of your children. I'm amazed at my kids. People, I have five kids, five kids, and I, I'm realizing that if we would keep having them, they would all be different. Thank God we're not going to keep having them. But five kids, they're all totally different. 
Now, they have characteristics that are similar from time to time, but it is amazing how individual their personalities is. It's a miracle of God. It's part of how God made us. Go to the next point. Here it is. When you're struggling to deal with conflict, one of the reasons is unmet needs. Conflict comes. The root cause of conflict happens from unmet needs. We have a... uh, a resource that we take young couples through when they're going to get married, and it's called Prepare and Enrich. And in fact, married couples, we use it in marriage coaching and, and mentoring, uh, where, where they take an assessment, and they answer all these questions, and they take this assessment, they take it separately, and then, then the, the, they develop, this ministry develops a report, and it, and it gives all the report of how they view different ideas, different roles, what, what they believe about their past, their family of origin. It, it articulates what they expect of each other, and, and, it, and it exposes the differences. And I, I love this tool because it, 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 it kind of highlights the fact that you can see that there are unmet needs in their lives and that they're expecting, they're expecting that person to fulfill for them. Let me pause here for a moment and say, most unmet needs are not articulated. Most unmet needs are hidden. And so we we don't find them until there's a conflict. And even when we're having the conflict, we're not really sure that this is coming from the origin of a need that I feel is unmet. But God is the one He is the one who meets our needs. God is really the only one who can ultimately meet our needs, all of our needs. Now, marriage is designed by God to help meet some of our needs. Did you know that? That's, that's, that's a good way to say it. Marriage is designed because men have needs and women have needs and you put them together and they, they serve each other, they help each other, they, they encourage each other, they, they help them, they, they serve their needs. But, but listen, if you're in a damaged marriage or you're in a broken marriage, or, or it's a, you, 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 you would be uh, tempted to think that I can't get my needs met. It's not true. God can meet you wherever you are. No matter how broken your relationship, no matter how difficult the journey, no matter how damaged your heart, God can come and heal you and meet your needs. In fact, you have to rely on him sometimes to meet your needs when someone else can't. And if you start there, then you really get a head start, you get a jump start on dealing with unmet needs. If you understand that you are going to have some unmet needs and you discover them, then in conflict, you'll be able to articulate that in a healthy way. And so I think it's so important for us to embrace this idea. Look at James 4, verse 1, says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, and you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. We fight because these desires that we have, we want somebody else to do what we want them to do. We, we want to we fight with them, and, and we, we don't resolve the conflict because we get real personal in it. I want to I want to encourage you that when you're fighting with somebody and you're having a conflict one of the ways that we must resolve the conflict is by focusing on the issue rather than the person's motives. 
right? Here's what I mean by that. What, the way you end up resolving a conflict is you work on the issue at hand, not on judging why they did what they did, not on evaluating what was inside of them that you don't, you're not even sure. You, you, you may be projecting your own opinion of their unmet needs, and you're getting mad at them and angry at them, and it's getting worse and worse. Look, get rid of all that and just deal with the issue. What is it, what is it that you, they're upset, upset over? My wife and I were talking recently about the fact that we, each of us can get really upset at our kids, and we get, we get harsh on them. And, uh, and, I, and sometimes I'll notice this happening with my wife, with Amy, and she'll, she'll get really upset at them, and I'll be like, I'll be coming in from work or something, and she'll be like just wailing on, on them, you know, and just saying, ah, I'm not going to describe what she says. But... <laughs> But what happens, what happens is I'm like, babe, what is going on? I mean, you're really mad at the kids. And she's like, this this is what she'll say. You have not been dealing with them all day long. And they keep doing this over and over and over and over again. One of the reasons God's design is to have two parents is for this reason. It's a a handoff. And, and so, and so I'll come in and I'll be like, okay, let me help. So the issue is not necessarily, um, my wife's anger, right? Cause I could focus on that. What are you doing? Why are you so mad at the kids? You need to get a hold of yourself. See, I'm mis- missing the, the point. I'm assigning a motive to her that she's just mad at the kids and she's letting herself go with it. Instead of dealing with the issue, which is, I haven't been around and she's been fighting them off by herself. And that means I need to help her. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get the last two real quick here. Uh, Selfishness is no surprise. Uh, Don't be too hard on yourself because everybody deals with selfishness. Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Do you ever know those people who just talk about themselves all the time? Annoying. Sometimes you should just listen. Talking about yourself all the time, everything's about you, all talking and no listening leads to conflict. All talking, no listening leads to conflict. It's a crazy thing with reality TV when you see it. It's like everybody wants to talk all the time. Of course, bad television is when you're silent. <laughs> but it's training our culture to just talk all the time. You got to calm down. You got to listen. Selfishness. Selfishness is everything's about you. When you listen, when you begin to slow down, when you begin to let the other person think, realizing it's about the other person. I love this phrase. The whole world, with one minor exception, is comprised of others. The whole world, with one minor exception, is comprised of others. So get used to it. The world is about others. Pride is the last one. Pride is this root cause of conflict. Again, no, don't let that bother you too much. Um, we all have to wrestle against pride, and, and we have to, we, it's, it's crazy how we are not willing often to say, to be the first ones to say we're sorry. You ever notice that? We're like, I, I don't, I don't want to be the first one to say I'm sorry. I want them to say they're sorry, and then maybe I'll accept their apology. 
In fact, if you're sitting here and you're thinking about this message and you're thinking about conflict you have with some other person and, and you're, you're wondering if, you know, you have pride, but everything that I talk about, you're thinking of your spouse or you're thinking of somebody else who really needs to hear this message, the odds are you're full of pride yourself. Man, I know so-and-so, they really need to hear this message. Look, it's not about so-and-so, this is about you. This is about the dynamic that happens in your own heart and our own hearts. We've got to focus all our energy, all the energy of, the, of the, the grace of Jesus and the work of God's Spirit. We have to focus it on our own hearts. Look what Matthew 7, 3 says. Matthew 7, 3 says, Why do you look on at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Focus the attention on you. Deal with conflict in how it, 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 it takes up space in your heart, not blaming others or pointing the finger at others. Look at this little illustration here. I want you to look at the word united. United. Look at how close, look how similar it is to the next word, untied. Look at, look at they're, they're, they have all the exact same letters, but the difference between the two words, the difference between you being united or being untied, it's all about where the I is in relationship. It's all about where the I is in the relationship to the word. It's all about where the I is in, in your relationship, where you insert yourself too much and you're not focused on others, you can untie a relationship. You begin to untie what God has united, what God wants to unite. And so listen to me, if, if you're in a broken relationship, maybe you're in a, a marriage that's really hard, let me encourage you, Jesus can heal it. There is no relationship, no marriage that is so broken that God can't heal it. With Jesus in our lives, there are no irreconcilable differences. There are no irreconcilable differences. Often I'll tell people who are really working in, in issues out of their marriage and they're struggling and I'm coaching them. I'll say, look, I'm convinced you can love this man or I'm convinced you can love this woman. And the reason I'm convinced of that is because even, even with all the past, even with all the history, there, there is a miracle in the love of Christ that can make this work because Jesus said in Luke 6, he said that we must love our enemies. We must love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, Bless those who curse us. Pray for those who mistreat us. And if this is true, if this is, what, this, is, this is what the gospel message can accomplish in the heart of a person, to be full of love and be full of, of compassion and share what they have with others because of what God has done in their hearts, if that's possible, then you can surely love somebody who stood up at an altar one day and said some vows to that has somehow become your enemy. You might be saying, Pastor Ross, that sounds really uh, kind of harsh because you don't know my past. Listen, I understand brokenness, violation, woundedness. But here's the thing. I think the message of God is humanity can be healed. 
Miracles can happen. Look at, look at Ephesians. We'll just, I'm going to give you three last points about reconcilable differences. Here's what Ephesians says. It says, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, everybody say far away. You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. The two, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In this context, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about the people of God and everyone else and how God is trying to bring them together under the banner of Christ. And he wants to call them the church. He wants to call them his people. And that's the context of this idea. But you need to see it that God is in the business of making two into one. God is in the business of of putting people together and breaking down their dividing walls of hostility, breaking down the barriers that are between them. This is God's design. This is his desire. And look, if he can reconcile you and me with all of our sins, all of our failures, all of the junk of our past, if he can rid us of that and pull us to him, if he can cross that chasm, he can heal any relationship that you have where there's a chasm, where there's a barrier, where there's a divide. Look, three last things I want you to write them down. These are promises I want you to make to your, to your spouse or to your coworkers or to your, your children. I make these promises to my kids. This is really important. It's I promise to act and not react. If you want to get rid of conflict, if you want to minimize conflict in your life, you promise to act and not react. That means you you choose to be proactive in the relationship and you invest in the relationship instead of reacting all the time to what the other person does. Look at Romans 12, 21. It says, "Do do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. You can't overcome evil with good unless goodness is in you. How does goodness get in you? Not by your own works, not by your own willpower. It only happens by the work of Christ in your life. It only happens when you surrender to him. It only happens when you welcome the Holy Spirit in. I coach uh, uh, premarital couples, sometimes I'll say this. It's as simple as this. If you will just choose to do the right thing regardless of what the other person does, you will have a more successful marriage. Because what happens is one person makes a mistake and then the other person wants to hit back. But if you'll, if you'll, if you'll cut it off right before it happens, if you'll deal with the conflict, often I'll, I'll say do the right thing no matter what the other person does and it fixes it. It overcomes evil with good. This works at work too. This works in your career. This, this works. And you may not think it does at, the, at, at that moment where the violation occurs. But I guarantee you, when you choose to respond as Jesus would, when you choose to respond in a way that allows him to get involved in work, you're going to end up with a different result. I promise to act and not react. Number two, I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. It's so easy to focus on all the bad things and not any of the good things. Sometimes there's a few bad things in a person and we just zero in on those things when really there are so many good things to focus on, to think on. 
Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what Paul said. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, look what it says. It says, think. Everybody say think. The battleground is all here. That's why you have to renew your mind with the scripture. Hey, the discipline of us as a family of believers reading the daily Bible reading, the one-year Bible, I am finding almost every day I have a place to apply something I read early that morning. And it takes discipline to get there because some mornings it's dry, some mornings you're just not sure what it all means, but the discipline of it gets your mind renewed because it gets new ideas. There's no way to erase old tapes what people have said about you, what brokenness is in your past. There's no way to erase those tapes unless you put something else over them. You have to record over them. That's what the Scripture is. That's what the work of the Spirit is. I love this uh, illustration. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, she was asked several years ago about her husband's travel schedule, and, and he had just come off the road for 17 straight weeks. And uh, so this reporter was probably trying to stir stuff up, and he said, did you ever resent his schedule? He said, did you ever get tired of him just being on the road? And here's what, here's what Ruth Graham said. I love this. She said, five months of the year with Billy Graham is better than 12 months with any other man. You see what she did? She focused on what was so good about him instead of giving into the negativity. We have to do that. We have to choose. I, I notice her answer. There's, it's grace. It's filled with grace and dignity. She chose kindness over criticism. She chose kindness over criticism. Now, sometimes you do have to deal with criticism, and we have to get, you know, a conflict will occur, and you've got to set a time, and you've got to really be willing to deal with it, and you sit down and you talk about critical things. There's no doubt about it. You have to deal with criticisms in a relationship. My issue is don't let the whole relationship be kind of blanketed with a critical spirit. Or a critical angle. Or everything that you see is, I'm just, I'm just always critical of this person. Number three, finally, I promise to talk and not walk. I promise to talk it out and not walk away. I promise to be willing to work things out no matter what happens. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to bed before the sun goes down and before I make this right. Look what Ephesians 4.26 says. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Amy and I have this this relationship where I, I have strengths and she has strengths and we, we're working on them together. Our weaknesses, we're working on those together. I'm punctuality. She, I asked her permission uh, earlier to talk about this, but she's not good at laundry. Laundry is just not a thing for her. And, uh, and, and so I got two choices. I can either do my own laundry or I can be okay with a dirty pile and a clean pile. That's where it is in our house. 
There's no, there's no clothes in, in drawers. It's just dirty pile and clean piles, just in different places, locations. Early on, we really had some conflict over this stuff. But you know what? You know what happened? You know what happened to me is I, I, I told her one day, and she was ag- kind of agonizing about this, and we were working out our, our conflict as a newly married couple. We were wrestling through it. And we, we, the thing that I, I, I loved about our experience is we, we were willing to wrestle through it and not just kind of suppress it, not just push it down. That we were willing and committed to deal with our own weaknesses. And I just told her one day, I said, look, Amy, I didn't marry you to do my laundry. That wasn't the reason I married you. I married you for your character. I married you because of what God has done in your life and of what you bring to, to, to my life. I'm so grateful for you. Laundry's not one of the things. We'll either hire somebody to do it or we'll enslave our kids to do it all of our lives. <laughs> it hasn't really worked with our kids either, but... But there's something about being committed to the person instead of being angry at the issue. Being willing to talk it out and not walk away. And and look, this is what this scripture says. It says, anytime we refuse to talk, we invite the devil in to get a foothold. Anytime we refuse to talk about issues, we, we instead we give the devil a little place where he can begin to create bitterness and frustration. And then, and then little by little, everything begins to mean something and conflict just begins to grow and build and suddenly it's overflowing the banks and destroying your relationship and your marriage. I think we have to com- be committed to promise to act and not react, to promise to focus on good and not bad and to promise to talk and not walk. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about what God is saying to you now. Just bow your head and and be willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit might say to you. Because the truth is, you can't do this in your own power, in your own strength. You can't fix it on your own. You need divine intervention. And there's probably two groups of people in the room, and I want you to identify yourself. The first group is the, the group of people that are realizing, I'm just full of, I'm just full of anger. I'm full of, I, I have conflict with everyone. I, I, I just fight with everyone and I feel so bad afterwards or I, I just, they feel bad and I just, I, I, I always use those verbal missiles and I, and I, and I hurt people and I'm just, I'm just angry. I feel like I have conflict all the time. Or you're in a, in a situation where you're just realizing your heart is not surrendered to Jesus. Your heart's not surrendered to him in a way that allows you to be free of that angst and that control and that conflict and today you want to surrender your heart and stop being angry and there may be some decisions to walk through you may have to talk about these some of the things that are going on in your life with others but today you want to make a decision i am not going to live in this conflict and i'm going to i'm going to allow jesus to work in my own heart in a greater way so that i can minimize the conflict that seems to surround my life I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward, but I'm going to ask you to just signify it by raising your hand in just a second. But the second group of people, people that you have a broken relationship and you're just realizing my marriage is damaged. It's not really just about me. It's about this, these relationships that I've, that, that are just not working. And you know, the relationship that you, you're, as soon as I say it, 
Maybe it's a relationship at work. Maybe it's something with your extended family. Maybe it's an in-law issue. Maybe it's with one of your children. There's just conflict everywhere in this, in this relationship, and you need God to do a miracle and step in and help you. You need him to heal this relationship. And you're thinking of it. You, it just comes to your mind right now. There's just no hesitation. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And if that's you, I'm not going to call you forward, not going to embarrass you. I just want you to lift your hand right now if that describes either one of you. Either one of those things describes you. Just lift your hand up and just say, yeah, God, I need you. I need you. I surrender to you. I've got to have you in my life to correct these things. I need healing and I need deliverance and I need your strength, God. Yeah. I want you to join me in this prayer and I want you to pray this prayer. Maybe silently as, as I'm praying it over you, you just pray this same prayer to God. We say, Heavenly Father, we need you desperately. We need you to heal our heart. We need you to heal our lives, our relationships. Forgive us, Lord, for doing the wrong thing. Forgive us for giving in to anger. and Forgive us for being foolish. We pray that you would help us to choose you. Choose you today. We choose you and to follow you and to pattern our lives after you. We choose to be willing to love those who we have conflict with. And, and we choose you because you're the one who heals our own hearts, of our own hurts and our own history. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us change our minds and give us a new start today, a brand new beginning, just a commitment to be willing to deal with conflict in a new way, to surrender it to you, to be guided by you, to let you set a guard over our mouths and to let you deal with our own wants and desires. Lord Jesus, we surrender to this, to surrender to you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your cleansing. We thank you for the miracle of making two into one. Making relationships whole. Putting broken things back together again. We receive that now. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.